So I have spent the last couple of months uh, studying the book of Zechariah, and I wanted to share uh, kind of chapter by chapter a brief summary of the uh, things that I have found and learned from the book. It's been very, very interesting going through it. And so I'd like to just share, uh, you know, my what I've enjoyed on each chapter. I'll just take one chapter per podcast here for the next uh, 14 weeks and uh, share what I've learned. And one of the things that I've learned is just a little bit of the history uh, leading up to Zechariah. Zechariah is entirely set within the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And we probably know who Darius is. He was Darius the Great. But some of this kind of the history uh, I found very interesting is kind of the the lead up into Zechariah. So if you're like me, you know that the people of Israel were carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar into Babylon and that they came back under Cyrus, and that there's these these prophecies that kind of happened sometime later. But kind of the link to connect them all historically, I didn't really know all that well. And I think it's helpful. And so I'll just briefly give a thumbnail sketch of the history from the people of Israel leaving the land until the beginning of Zechariah. So they uh, leave the land as a judgment of God under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't, um, and the Babylonians, they, they really don't last that long, and they're taking over, as is recorded in Daniel, by the Medes and the Persians. So the Medes and the Persians come and wipe out uh, Babylon, and now they're the new rulers. And uh, this all happens within Daniel's lifetime. And Daniel now is with the Medes and the Persians, and Cyrus gives his famous decree where he says, everyone who is part of Israel can go back. The Lord has commanded me to let you all go back to the land of Israel and and build a house for God. Now, a fair amount of time has gone by. I'm not sure of an exact number. It's somewhere in the range of 50 to 60 years from when you know the people en masse left Israel and there was just a very, very few who were left behind, and to when the people are told by Cyrus they can come back. Now, in 50 years, you know, if, if, if you were relocated to, I don't know where, say, uh, Mexico or something like that, you were relocated to Mexico, and you spent 50 years there, uh, and you had a community there, you know, all of your friends were there, and and your children had grown up there and they didn't even remember, you know, your homeland. And then the president of Mexico says, all of you can now go back to your homeland. Most of you probably would not want to go back. Um, you would just back in Jerusalem. Things were just kind of a, a, a wasteland. I mean, over 50 years, uh, those are some pretty big trees that have grown up over the time. It was, you know, Everything was leveled when the Babylonians left and nobody had rebuilt it. So it was a pretty dismal place, if you will. And so uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua take the the initiative to, to go back, but not very many Israelites go with them. And the only ones that do 
their, their, their reason they go back is not because they are expecting, I think, uh, to walk into an empty palace and have a wonderful life. It's because they want to build the house of God. They're a remnant, as Haggai uh, refers to them. So this remnant returns. There's just a few of them. And they start work right away on the house of God. They set up the altar. There's worship that's restored, and, and, and it's wonderful. But at the same point that it's wonderful, they, they run into a lot of opposition. The people from the surrounding areas want to help. They're told they can't, that this is something between Israel and God. And then the people of the surrounding areas uh, get upset, and they try to hinder the work. And they uh, write letters to the king, to Cyrus. They hire counselors. And it just says that all it says is that they frustrated their purpose and frightened them from the work. Now, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but you can kind of imagine. It, it just made life difficult for those few who had returned. And then on top of it, the Lord says to them in, in Haggai all the way, you know, for let, let me back up for a second. So Cyrus reigns. He dies. Cambyses, his son, who the scripture, as far as I can tell, calls Ahasuerus, he reigns for eight years. He's very busy. He kind of finishes the conquest of his father, Cyrus, and and sets up the whole land, if you will. And now Persia is kind of complete, as we know it, as far as a kingdom. But then he's on his way back and and he dies. And then there's another, uh, his either his brother or a person who pretends to be his brother named Bardia steps onto the throne because, you know, Cambyses has, has died uh, apparently without an heir. So now Bardia is on the throne and Darius is kind of this general in the army. And he says, you know what? I happen to know because uh, I was in the know that uh, Bardia actually is dead. This person's an imposter and Darius kills him and then ends up becoming the king. Bardia only reigns for a few months, and but it's in those few months that he is reigning that the uh, people from the surrounding areas finally, if you will, get traction with the king of Persia. They continue. They, they kind of have this letter writing campaign, you know, where they say, "Hey, you know, don't let this house be built. These are bad people, and they're going to rebel against you if you let them build the house." Well, finally, Bardia, uh, Artaxerxes is who he's called in um, Ezra. He writes back and he says, stop the work, make them stop. I don't want them to build this uh, city. So he controverts Cyrus's uh, decree, his father's, or if he's a pretender, I guess, you know, whatever, his supposed father's decree. But he dies, as, as we said, and Darius takes the throne. Now a year of, of Darius' reign goes by, all the turbulence that comes with a new ruler. Darius ends up being a, a very good king. And... Um, in the second year of his reign, as far as I can tell, that's when the 70 years is complete. So when the people were carried away into Babylon, it started a clock of 70 years where the Lord said, you're, you're going to be not blessed, you know, away from the land for, for 70 years. But after 70 years, you'll be blessed again. Well, the 70 years comes up done, if you will, at the in the second year of Darius. And so what we find is kind of, I think, in preparation maybe of this of this event, we find Haggai and Zechariah begin to uh, come and, and prophesy. And so 
Haggai comes and his prophecy is very simple. It's you guys need to be building the house of God. That, that's why you came back. And instead of building the house of God, you're just building your own homes. Go up to the mountain, get wood, bring it, and, and build the house of God. Zerubbabel and Joshua, they, they do that. And then the Lord, through Haggai, promises them blessing. And this is very significant. On the 24th day of the ninth month, he says, the Lord says, consider from this day onward that from this day on, I will bless you. So up until that point, they had faced a lot of opposition, a lot of difficulty. But the Lord says, in the second year of Darius' reign, from the 24th day of the ninth month, the Lord says, basically, I will bless you. Okay, and that takes us into Zechariah and Haggai prophesy around the same time. Uh, kind of, uh, well, they, they do prophesy at the same time, all in the second year of, of Darius. And so hopefully that gives a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of the history of kind of how the people got to where they are. So they're in the land. Their purpose is to build the temple of God but they've been really frustrated and, and discouraged in this. And um, now uh, they, they have received these prophecies that, you know, the Lord wants them to build this house. The Lord is pleased with this house. He, and, he, and, he, and he wants them to, to do it. But again, it's, it's a wasteland around. Um, you know, the walls are falling down. It, it's just a bad scene. Okay, enough of the history. Zechariah chapter 1 starts out with Zechariah coming and his first message to the people is he says, look back on your past. So he says, um, the Lord of hosts was very, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. So Zechariah comes to them and he says, look, your fathers, they messed up. The Lord was very angry with them. He told them that he was going to just destroy them. They refused to listen. Your fathers did. And, you know, the Lord did destroy them. And so the, the reason that he brings this before them is uh, he, he is looking for their heart, the, the, these people's heart. And he is saying, remember the way your fathers were and what the Lord did to them. Well, the people's response is it says, then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Now, this is an amazing statement for the people. They, they, what a hardship these people have gone through. And um, here they are able to say, basically the Lord was right. <laughs> that's a hard thing, isn't it? But they do say that. They say the Lord was right for us to have to go through all of that. The Lord told us, he warned us repeatedly, and now he has done it this way. The Lord was right, and they repented. Well, that's important because this entire book of Zechariah then is written to a people that are repentant. And are desirous to serve God and not make the mistakes of their fathers. Now, what is going to follow now throughout the next uh, several chapters is we're going to have eight visions total. The, these all apparently, or they seem to all happen on, on one night. 
This is a few months later that that first part when Zechariah comes to them is on the eighth month. Now we have the 24th day of the 11th month. It's still in the second year of Darius. And Zechariah, you know, it seems like he goes to sleep and he starts to have these visions and he's going to have a total of eight of them. And here's the, the, the first one. So he says, uh, I saw at night. And behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red sorrel and white horses behind him. So kind of, it's really interesting imagery. You know, you can kind of imagine yourself there if you kind of close your eyes, you know, and and, and you just think about it. Here he is, and, and he opens his eyes. It's nighttime, and there's all these horsemen that are kind of in this ravine, sort of concealed by these myrtle trees. I don't know what a myrtle tree looks like, but I I assume it's a tree with some foliage. And anyway, they're kind of down in in this ravine. And there's this one guy in particular who's riding a red horse. And then there's these red sorrel and white horses that are kind of behind him. And so he asks the obvious question that probably any of us would ask. He says, what are these? My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, so... uh, I don't think this is the person on the horse. This is a separate individual, angel, he's called, messenger. He says to, to, to him, I will show you what these are. And then the man who was standing among the myrtle trees, riding this red horse, standing there, he answers and says, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Okay, so, okay, now the vision becomes more clear. We, we know what a patrol is. You know, you've got a police officer and he's kind of checking out the village at night and kind of walking around and poking his head into alleys and just making sure seeing kind of how things are making sure everything's as it as it should be so that's what these ones were doing these are uh, there's different theories as to what these uh, different horsemen are but it's clear that they were a patrol that was sent out by God I take them to be angels uh, or the four winds of heaven but it, it seems that these are angels that, were, that had gone out and they had patrolled the earth, especially because of what happens next. So uh, the angel of the Lord who was standing, he, he says, this is kind of his, his report. So they've kind of gathered their forces, if you will. They've, they've done their, you know, everything that they're going to do. And they're now in this ravine. And now he gives his report. Now we're going to find that he's, he's given this report directly to the Lord. So it says, the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts. So here he is. He's back and he's he's giving his report. Uh, that's, that's verse 12. So back him for just a second. I skipped ahead. Sorry. Back him for just a second. He says, we have patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Now, there's two ways that this could be looked at. Uh, you could look at it as the earth is peaceful and quiet. Hey, that's a good thing. You know, like a police officer walks around and Checks everything out and everything's, you know, peaceful and quiet. And he's like, okay, all right, good. That's the way it should be. But because of what happens next, I don't believe that's what it is. So imagine a police officer going on a beat, say, in New York City and walking around in in uh, in, in the daytime or whatever else. And, and there's just nothing happening. There, there's nobody anywhere. The subways aren't running. There's no cars on the streets. There's no taxis. There's no hawking horns. It's just peaceful. Empty is another, uh, I think, word for this, and, and, and quiet. Now, 
I believe that's kind of the force. This was not a good thing. Um, it was that the land of Israel particularly was empty. Now, I say that because just historically, it was. There was only a very few people, like we said, that had returned from Babylon. And, and there just wasn't a lot of people there and they weren't doing very much. It was just kind of eking out in existence. And so they say their whole land, land or the whole earth, I should say, which I understand people tell me that that refers the earth, that, that term refers largely to Israel. The earth is just peaceful and quiet. Now, the, the reason I, I think that that's the right way to take what the angel says is because of what he says next. So he, he cries to the Lord of hosts and he says, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah with which you have been indignant these 70 years? This is the, the clue or the key that tells us that it's in the second year of Darius' reign that the 70 years comes to a completion. And here this angel who's just gone on this patrol, you know, with, with these other uh, angels, it seems. He's back and, and he says, everything's peaceful and quiet. There's just, it's just sitting and, and it's empty. And how long are you going to, you know, refuse, O Lord of hosts, to show compassion? This is an amazing, uh, you know, spirit of this uh, angelic being um, to, you know, I know some take this to be an incarnation or not an incarnation, I'm sorry, it's the wrong term, a, a theophany that is an appearance of the Lord Jesus here. Uh, maybe it is, I, I, don't, I don't know, but, but whatever it is, it certainly seems to be that he gives the, the heart of God to this matter. And, and the answer of God, it says, the Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me, with gracious words, comforting words. So we don't have exactly the words of the Lord, although it seems that a summary of them is given in the next verses, but he comforts this angel. It's such an interesting and even touching scene to think of the angel going out, patrolling the earth, coming back, giving this report and saying, how long before you know, your people are, are, are restored and, and you're going to bless them again. They're so small and so persecuted, you know. And the Lord comforts this angel. This calls him an angel anyway. So now the angel who was speaking with me, it, it's as if the Lord speaks to him. And now the angel turns to Zechariah and he says, proclaim thus. Or proclaim saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. This thought of the measuring line is kind of like a surveyor, or, or a builder, it's a thought of a builder, someone who is, you know, when you have a measuring line in, in this sense, uh, you, you're trying to build something. So you're laying out plots of land and you're measuring for walls and you're doing all of these sort of things. And he says, I'm coming back. I am going to show compassion. My house is going to be built. And think of what this would have meant to the people who were there, who were just struggling so much and facing opposition on, on every hand. The Lord saying, I'm coming back. I am going to show compassion. This house that you've been working on and now have stopped working on and just started again, it's going to get built. What an encouragement that, that, that would be. 
And he says, uh, my cities will again overflow with, with prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Now, uh, I think Kelly is the one that points out, William Kelly, that is, he points out, you know, this was fulfilled at this time uh, to a certain degree, and it will be fulfilled in a much greater degree in the future. Uh, but it was fulfilled at this time, in, in, in one sense anyway. The Lord did return. He did again choose Jerusalem. The house was built, and the cities did overflow with prosperity um, at that time. Not like they will in the future, but they did overflow with prosperity. So this is a message of real encouragement that the Lord is aware. I think that's the thought of this patrol going out. It's the Lord. It's not that he doesn't know uh, or he wouldn't know without the patrol, but he, he gives this image of a patrol so that the people are aware. He's there. He's watching. He knows <laughs> his patrols are out. He can tell what's going on. He knows everything. And his heart is a heart that desires to bless and he will bless. What an encouragement it would have been for the people of Israel at this time. Now, that's the first vision, first of these eight visions. Here's the second. He says, then I lifted up my eyes. Every one of these, I think, is identified by then I lifted up my eyes. So it, it, the thought is that the eyes kind of close. He's back in his sleep. And you know how a dream kind of like one dream will end and another dream will start. Well, I mean, these aren't exactly dreams, visions. I, I don't know exactly what to call them. But in any case, whatever it was, he now opens his eyes again, if you will. And it says, he looked and behold, there were four horns. Okay, so he looks, four horns. Okay, so again, he says, the first thing any of us would say, he says, what are these? To the angel who was speaking with me. He answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Okay, then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I said, what are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them and to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. All right. Now, the horns and the craftsmen, there's four of each. And... Um, when he says to him, so, so a horn, we know from Daniel that a horn speaks generally of, of a king. Remember, Alexander the Great is referred to as the great horn, you know, of, of the ram that, or of the goat that comes and smites the ram. A horn refers to a king in, in scripture. And so when he says, these are the horns which have, which have, this is past tense, have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, um, if you do a little bit of digging, you can find those four horns. And, you know, even if to us it's, it's a little bit, you got to kind of pull this together from a lot of different passages. To the people at the time, when you said, you know, the four horns that have scattered uh, Israel, um, it would have been, I, I think they would have just been able to rattle them right off. Oh, well, yeah, that's Tiglath-Pileser, 2 Kings 15 and 16. Uh, he came against King Ahaz. A Shalmaneser, he came against uh, 2 Kings 18 and 19. You can read all of this in 2 Kings. 2 Kings 18 and 19, uh, he carried away uh, Israel. It's the northern tribes. And he came against the southern tribes. And then you have Sennacherib. You probably remember that name. And his famous general, Rabshakeh. He came against Hezekiah, 2 Kings chapter 20. 
And then, of course, you have um, Nebuchadnezzar. Four kings that Scripture identifies as horns, if you will, or kings that came against and scattered, it says, uh, Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem. These are ones that came and, and, and you know, and they did that. So uh, there are other uh, thoughts on this. Some would take this as the four nations, uh, you know, Babylon, Persia, uh, Greece, and, and, the, and Rome, but uh, I, I can't I guess, see it that way myself for several reasons. One, Persia never really scattered uh, Jerusalem and Judah and Israel. Israel was gone by the time Persia was on the scene. So true also for uh, for all four of those kingdoms because it was Assyria that scattered Israel. But, you know, so and since it's past tense, I take it that these four horns are these four kings that came and scattered Israel. But now you have these four craftsmen. So, First, you have the four horns, and now you have these four craftsmen. And it doesn't say that the craftsmen destroy the horns, but it says it destroys the nations of those horns. Well, those nations are Assyria and Babylon. And I take it that these four craftsmen are, again, four kings who their job, if you will, is going to be, there were four kings that tore down Israel and now there's going to be four kings that are going to rebuild Israel. They're craftsmen, they're builders. And what we find throughout the reign of the Persians is they, they were very consistent in rebuilding. There were four kings in particular that were consistent about rebuilding. They were Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, and Artaxerxes. So these four kings that are known to history, kind of the, the four of the great kings, if you will, of Persia, they were builders. They supplied, and we can read about each one of these in different passages of, of Scripture where, uh, um, so we have Cyrus, uh, Isaiah 44, 28, and 45, 14. He, you know, says to rebuild. Um, in Ezra 6, verses 1 through 12, Darius renews Cyrus's decree. Isaiah, uh, Ezra 7, uh, verses 11 through 28, we have Artaxerxes given the decree. And then finally in Nehemiah, we have the fourth decree, which is finally to actually rebuild this, the city. And that's under Artaxerxes or, or Xerxes. I forget. I think that would be Xerxes that Nehemiah was under. Anyway, you get the idea. This, again, was a message of incredible encouragement to the people. They knew of these four horns that had torn down and scattered, um, scattered Israel. And now the Lord promises them, you're going to have four craftsmen. They're going, to, they, they're going to tear down these horns, the nations of these horns. They're going to keep them at bay. They're going to rebuild Israel. What a promise to these people. And, and what an encouragement to the people who were there. <laughs> it must have been so hard for people at, at the time. We're just not used to it. But, you know, they they just been through a couple of kings. Some were for the rebuilding. Some were against the rebuilding. But the Lord promises there's going to be four kings that are for the rebuilding. Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, and Artaxerxes. And so that is Zechariah chapter 1 in a very basic uh, nutshell.